Welcome to AMDA On The Go, your gateway to expert discussions, journal article reviews, and innovations in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA On The Go is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on this podcast are their own opinions and are not necessarily the positions of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now our host for this special edition of AMDA on the Go, Dr. Sabina von Price Friedman. Hello, I'm Sabine von Price Friedman, Washington State Chapter President. I want to welcome you to a special AMDA on the Go program on buprenorphine and the treatment of substance use disorder in post-acute and long-term care, what every practitioner needs to know. Thank you to AMDA on the Go host, Dr. Diane Sanders-Sepita for giving us an opportunity to present on this platform. The statistics are certainly frightening. In 2022 alone, we saw 109,000 deaths from drug overdose in the US. My home state of Washington has seen a 22% increase in overdose deaths last year. And as a physician and medical director, I'm committed to do our part in combating this deadly disease of epidemic proportions, especially since there is effective treatment available. I'm very excited to have with us today as our subject matter expert, Dr. Jennifer Azen, Associate Clinical Professor at the University of Washington. Dr. Azen is somewhat of a rarity. She's an internist with both extensive experience in post-acute and long-term care. We actually work together uh, at the University of Washington PALTC team, as well as unique practice area in the treatment of substance use disorder. Dr. Azen is currently also the medical director of the University of Washington's Inpatient Addiction Medicine Service. Dr. Azen, the Waiver Elimination Act of 2023 changed the regulations so that all practitioners holding a DEA with Schedule Three authority can now prescribe Suboxone. At the same time, a new DEA requirement now mandates that all prescribers who renew their DEA license have to certify that they have eight hours of education in the treatment of substance use disorder. This AMBLA on the go is part of our effort to offer education on substance use disorder that is pertinent to medical practitioners like us in the post-acute and long-term care space. So let's start with the basic questions. We can now all prescribe buprenorphine. Why does this even matter to those of us who practice perhaps exclusively in post-acute and long-term care? Well, buprenorphine is becoming a fairly common medication that is used in the United States. It's been prescribed since 2001. And I think at this point, there are many patients who have been stable on buprenorphine for their opiate use disorder for sometimes up to a decade, um, who are now becoming the part of the population that may need a skilled nursing facility um, and post-acute rehab. So it's going to become more common that we see patients who are stable on buprenorphine 
who need general post-acute care after um, surgeries, um, medical issues, or um, trauma. And certainly in, in facilities that see lots of trauma, um, there is a higher rate of substance use disorder in patients at trauma facilities. And so those patients are also needing post-acute care and we're starting to see more of those patients referred to facilities. Now that the waiver has been removed, um, there is no longer a barrier for those providers who previously did not feel comfortable or could not prescribe buprenorphine in their facility. That barrier is gone. And so um, we have an opportunity in having the DEA require the eight hours of training to really become educated on how buprenorphine works and how it is used um, and um, how we can use it in the post-acute care setting so that we do not destabilize patients and we're able to give them appropriate care. Dr. Azen, isn't it? There's something that I did not know, but maybe you can talk a, a, about this a little bit. Um, is, isn't um, uh, substance use disorders now considered under the ADA Act? And what? Yes. how does this relate to um, post-acute and long-term care? So patients with that are being treated for substance use disorder um, have a disability that is protected under the ADA Act. And so when they are referred to skilled nursing facilities and they are denied admission based on their substance use disorder, which is being treated, they have, um, they have a claim that they have been discriminated against um, based on their disability. And so um, a few facilities in Washington have had letters um, sent to them saying, um, that there has been a complaint that they have discriminated against patients with um, substance use disorder as a disability. Additionally, um, the Justice Department is, is interested in this, and they're interested in looking at trends of patients being discriminated for their substance use disorder. Um, so they are starting to ask, what, what's the data? Are patients being universally declined based on a treated substance use disorder. And that's something they're interested um, from a justice standpoint. Yes, and we have seen that actually act out here in the in the state of Washington that uh, some facility have come under scrutiny and had uh, into agreements with uh, the justice department. So even if you don't want to take care of patients with substance use disorder, um, recognize that uh, these all these patients need our care and we don't have, um, if you will, the luxury of bias against uh, those patients anymore. But let's get to the to another basic. Isn't substance use disorder influenced by many social factors as well? How effective is the medical treatment uh, of substance use disorder? Can you give us a little bit of specifics here? So when we're talking about substance use disorder, it's a very broad term um, describing um, addiction to any substance. Um, and so we think about most commonly what we're talking about today is for opiate use disorder, um, but it also includes methamphetamine use disorder, 
um, and other stimulant use disorders as well as benzo use disorder and alcohol um, use disorder being the most common. Nicotine use disorder is also considered a substance use disorder. Um, so each substance has various treatments um, and some of them are FDA approved and some of them um, are not. So for opiate use disorder, there are three specific treatments called, um, that we refer to as medication-assisted treatment um, that are FDA approved. Most people are aware of methadone, um, which has been around since the 1970s. Um, the number needed to treat a patient with opiate use disorder to save their life with methadone is two. So it is a highly effective medication in preventing death related to opiate use disorder. Um, it's a very restrictive treatment, requires patients to only receive the treatment at designated opiate um, treatment facilities. They're, it's not available to the every person in the United States. Many of them are too far away for some of our populations. Um, and, and it has its own set of issues, but it's very effective and it keeps people alive. Um, buprenorphine, which has been uh, approved since 2001, um, the number needed to treat to save a life is three, which is significantly better than many of the treatments we give patients um, without you know, thought, like statins and aspirin. Yeah. Yeah, that is, I know, this is, these these are actually amazingly no, low numbers yeah. when you think about it. So I think aspirin for the prevention of an SDMI number needed to treat is uh, 42, I think. So right. if you look at that, it, it is an incredibly effective treatment. And 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 I had seen these statistics before, and I, I, I just was um, quite amazed at um, those statistics. Today, we're going to concentrate of, uh, on buprenorphine because this is now um, a, a treatment that we all need to know about. Um, so tell us a little bit more about buprenorphine. How does it work and how is it different uh, from methadone? And what is the role of the naloxone buprenorphine combination? If you can shed some light um, mm -hmm. on that, that'd be great. So buprenorphine is the drug that um, is truly treating opiate use disorder. So it's the medication-assisted treatment is the buprenorphine. Um, it is a substance that is a partial opiate agonist. So it partially stimulates the mu receptor um, in the brain, and it has both antagonism to the mu receptor and agonism in the mu receptor. So it has very fascinating pharmacology that's quite, quite complex. But the basics that we need to know are, is that it binds more tightly to the mu receptor than other opiates. So it binds more tightly than methadone, it binds more tightly than dilaudid, oxycodone, heroin, fentanyl. And so when you start buprenorphine or a patient is on buprenorphine, there is a protective benefit because it is keeping the mu receptor stimulated so the other substances cannot get onto the mu receptor. What does it have, what does it mean for respiratory depression? 
Um, so the, the other the other interesting fact about buprenorphine is that it does saturate. So and it has a sealing effect. So unlike full mu agonist that you can continue to give and continue to give and continue to give, and it'll eventually lead to respiratory depression, also leads to tolerance and all those sorts of things. There is a ceiling effect. So once you get to about 32 milligrams of buprenorphine, you can keep adding more buprenorphine, but it will not be effective. It does not have any additional effects. And so you do not have the respiratory suppression that you get with full mu agonist. Additionally, if one were to take a full mu agonist on top of the suboxone, because it has more tightly bound to those mu receptors, it does have some protection against respiratory depression. So it has a protective effect from an overdose, um, for instance. And so there's a lot of benefit in putting patients on buprenorphine because it protects them from being able to um, get to a level of opiate where they have respiratory suppression and they, and they overdose. And that's certainly an extraordinary benefit given all these um, overdose deaths um, that we are currently um, seeing and, and experiencing. So tell me a little bit more about um, the dosing. What is the maximum dose? You mentioned something in the 30s. What is the usual maximum dose that we um, see for treatment of opioid use disorder? So... Thankfully, when patients typically come to skilled nursing facilities, they are, are typically on a stable dose um, for, for opiate use disorder. So a typical dose for opiate use disorder is about 16 to 24 milligrams. So most patients um, start buprenorphine and rapidly titrate up to that treatment dose um, of 16 milligrams. And then if they still have additional cravings um, or withdrawal symptoms, we typically increase up to 24 milligrams. Sometimes patients get that all in one dose because similar to methadone, it has over a 24 hour half-life. Other patients find that they um, do better splitting the dose. So I would say it's most typical to see an eight milligram over um, two milligrams. So it's eight milligrams of buprenorphine with two milligrams of naloxone, um, three, two to three times a day. Um, okay. That's, that's good information. Let's go to what, um, is really important for us as clinicians and also medical directors to know, um, what we can teach, um, the nursing staff, um, about administration of uh, uh, suboxone or buprenorphine naloxone combinations. What formulation does it come in and what do you have to, and we all have heard and maybe even seen the film, um, uh, but there's also tablets. Um, uh, what do you prefer and what do we need to know about effective administration? What should we teach our nursing staff who administer those meds about it? So glad you asked this question. Um, so I think the key thing to understand is the formulation of buprenorphine with naloxone um, called Suboxone typically, but there's also um, a, a brand name called Zubsolve. 
when it's taken under the tongue or buccally, the buprenorphine is absorbed, but the naloxone is not absorbed. Um, that extra naloxone that's in these medications is meant to be an abuse deterrent so that patients okay. can inject it. Um, a lot of patients have believed that that naloxone is effective, but it is not if properly taken. So it's very important that nurses understand how to administer the medications. So first thing I recommend is that we schedule Suboxone separately from other medications. Um, it comes in both a tablet and a film, but tablets are considerably cheaper. And so most formularies um, will kind of force tablets. And when you see a tablet and a nurse sees a tablet, it's, it's pretty common to recommend that they just take the tablet with all of their other medicines. So patients will accidentally swallow it with the other medicines. But if you separate it from their typical morning dose, let's say, um, it gives the patient opportunity to prepare their mouth. So we typically say, you know, swallow their saliva and then it goes under the tongue and it needs to absorb. It takes a while to absorb, sometimes up to 10 or 15 minutes, um, sometimes just five minutes, but it needs to fully absorb under the tongue. And then about 30 minutes after it's fully absorbed, it's important to rinse um, because it's an acidic, it's an acidic compound and so it can erode the enamel. So we typically recommend rinsing with tap water. Um, our tap water in where, where we work in Seattle is very basic. So it helps to kind of neutralize some of the acid or rinse with mouthwash or brush their teeth. So the key thing is making sure the patient takes it under the tongue, the film and the tablet both and letting it fully absorbed and then rinsing about 30 minutes later. It, would it be possible to give this medication also as a last medication so that we don't have to do another um, med administration time? Sure. I think that's very reasonable with very good nursing education. Um, it, we've just had some issues even in the hospital where nurses only have three patients uh, where they just kind of group them. But if patient, if nurses are aware that it should be separated and given last, that's totally reasonable. Okay. And patients should be educated as well. So I think the other key piece is yes, making sure my patient know to ask, oh, where's the Suboxone? And I need to have that last. Okay, good, good. So we can definitely... Um, uh, there's some good, um, real good pearls here in in uh, what you just said that we need to be aware of and we can make sure we teach our nursing staff and possibly also write it like that in the medication administration instructions so we can be sure that it is followed like that. Now, um, here comes a big uh, uh, question. Um, uh, you know, if you have a patient who ha is treated with buprenorphine on substance use disorder, you know, it is a psychotropic medication. Can they be weaned when they come to us so we don't have to deal with all the, um, uh, you know, with all the potential complications um, of med administration, other opioids that um, possibly needed? Should we do a GDR? Uh, on these masks? Can we do that? Should we do that? How long should these patients be treated? So when you look at the data, patients 
typically need to stay on um, medication-assisted treatment, including buprenorphine, um, for often several years to truly stabilize. Um, many patients express wishes to be off of everything and to kind of be done with their opiate use disorder, especially patients who are maybe um, getting into recovery for the first time or maybe even the second time. So data really does show that they those patients who try to rapidly taper off tend to have higher risk of overdose. So they do lose some of their tolerance and when they're not really ready to come off the medication, um, when they relapse, it's a very, very dangerous um, okay. event that leads to overdose. So I typically recommend, the way I phrase it with patients is the most important thing that we can do for them is that we can give them medication that keeps them alive. And this medication has been proven to, to be life-saving and they need to be on it for several years. And when they feel very, very comfortable in their sobriety and they've made a new life and they feel like everything is in place, then working with their prescriber to slowly taper down, often over a year's period, um, may be an option. But in the short term, it's best to just stay on the medication. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. So I think it is unequivocally clear that one of the, our um, most important tasks here is to keep the patient through their transition and while they're in the nursing home or in the long-term care facility on their um, buprenorphine, make sure that they do not uh, taper themselves off, make sure we have the medications available in a timely manner, that's why in the facility that Dr. Aizen and I practice together, we just added um, uh, Suboxone to our e-kit because sometimes we have found that um, there is a delay from pharmacy. From pharmacy. So um, I would uh, recommend that to everyone who admits patients on uh, Suboxone as well. So our foremost goal here is keep them on this life-saving medications. But having said that, um, we often have patients who come in post-trauma or post-surgery uh, or both, and um, uh, now those patients on uh, buprenorphine may have acute pain, and their mu receptors are fairly blocked, as you say. How do you treat acute pain? What options do you have? So in working with patients, in the post-operative setting in the hospital, um, we've been able to make to achieve pain control with full mu agonist opiates, um, but it's picking the right opiate. Um, so if you feel like their pain is pain that does need an additional opiate because other pain options are not are not appropriate for them, such as, you know, NSAIDs are often not appropriate for our patients. But obviously you would want to use anything that's not an opiate, but if really you're out of options, then um, starting an opiate is reasonable. Um, there are various, I guess, um, affinity to the mu receptors. So there's, there's a, a range of affinity to mu receptors and opiates. And Dilaudid has the strongest affinity in kind of the typical opiates we see. And so there is some competitive binding with buprenorphine. 
Um, and so you can get some mu receptor activity from Dilaudid on top of buprenorphine. I typically recommend if you add that in, you have to realize that you have some blockade and you may need to use a slightly higher dose. So I typically um, would use closer to four milligrams than a two milligram oral Dilaudid because you're gonna have some blockade. If you just, if you just use two milligrams, you're probably not gonna overcome the blockade from the buprenorphine. So four milligrams, often once or twice a day is sufficient. Okay. They can get a patient through physical therapy. Um, but I always have a discussion with the patient to have a plan to get them off of it before they leave the hospital, uh, leave the facility. Okay, so and so to make uh, to make sure you know the lauded hydromorphone is what we're talking okay. about. Um, it's easier to say the lauded, but it is hydromorphone in two to four milligram, possibly four milligram, but it doesn't sound like very frequently one to two times a day and stopping before um, uh, discharge. Now, he's one not, other thing, sorry, yeah. <laughs> one no, other thing on. to add is when you give um, hydromorphone with suboxone or buprenorphine, it would be best to give it after you have administered the buprenorphine. So okay. you want to give it maybe two hours after to get the best effectiveness. You do not want to give it an hour before you give the buprenorphine because you may cause a mild withdrawal. So oh, okay. a couple hours after buprenorphine is the best time to give it. Okay. So yeah, so the Dilaudid would be on the mu receptors and then you, we might get a partial agonist competitively displacing the uh, hydromorphone and get a withdrawal. Okay. Yes. Really good point. Thank you for um, uh, giving us this pearl. Now here's one more situation. And before we are... Uh, um, uh, wrapping up today, um, and that is what if a patient is scheduled for follow-up surgery? Um, are there any complications with anesthesia? Should we stop the buprenorphine prior to surgery? And that's really your, your um, area of expertise since you are doing the inpatient addiction um, services. What's your take on that? So, um, if anybody has taken the class uh, to become X-wavered five years ago, the teaching at that time was to stop buprenorphine prior to surgery. Um, we have learned since that this is a very high-risk time for patients, and often patients will return to use just before surgery, which no one wants. So um, over, the years, <laughs> over the years, we have evolved, and, um, and I think most facilities that have an addiction medicine service have moved to continuing buprenorphine at current dose, so not doing any dose reduction of the buprenorphine throughout the surgical um, and the perioperative uh, setting. So you would continue buprenorphine even on the morning of their surgery. The anesthesiologist can use other agents. They can use fentanyl. They can use hydromorphone. They can use ketamine for pain control. And then they continue the post-operative pain control, which is slowly weaned off uh, within a few weeks after surgery. So we successfully um, are able to do open heart surgery on patients on full dose of buprenorphine and have totally adequate pain control just as if patients were not on buprenorphine. So even if the, the, if the hospital is recommending that it be held, I would 
um, advocate for your patient that this is kind of the new process, um, although it's not currently established in any guidelines at this point, but there are, um, it is written in the um, ASAM guidelines uh, that this is an option to continue the buprenorphine at full dose. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Azen, for your insights and sharing your expertise. We are so lucky to be able to discuss treatment with substance use disorder with someone who has knowledge and who practices also in our space. Um, this is all we have time for today, although there is um, um, uh, a lot more uh, about the treatment of substance uh, use disorder, and we maybe can pick this up at a later point. But here's what we learned today. Here are the pearls. Buprenorphine is a very highly effective for treatment of uh, substance use disorder with an astonishingly low number uh, needed to treat uh, to prevent death. Our main obligation as medical directors, attending physician and medical provider is to make sure the patient stays on their uh, medical assisted treatment for substance use disorder in post-acute and long-term care. Do not wean it, do not GDR it. Um, that could lead to um, really adverse outcomes. Buprenorphine treatment uh, uh, in changes the management of acute pain from what we usually uh, would do, try everything non-opioid uh, to treat the pain or acute pain. But um, if you need more pain coverage, you can consider adding hydromorphine judiciously um, uh, to, uh, two to four milligram twice a day. And lastly, very important, teach your nursing staff on how to administer uh, the buprenorphine. It needs to be administered separately. Um, it needs to be held under the mouth for 15 minutes until it dissolves. And after about 30 minutes, you need to rinse um, the, uh, the, the mouth to prevent uh, 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 damage to the mouth tissues. That's a very important point Dr. Azen made. And then also, if you give a, um, a hydromorphine for additional pain relief, give it after you have given the buprenorphine. Dr. Aizen, I'm going to give you the last word. What else? Uh, uh, do you have anything else to add to all of this? No, I've, uh, well, I so appreciate you inviting me on and I'm, I'm glad to share. And I really encourage providers to um, try to understand buprenorphine and really work with patients and talk to them um, about their treatment and how you can help them through um, their recovery process. I think having a stable patient um, whose opiate use disorder is treated um, is, is so refreshing <laughs> in a skilled nursing environment. We often have patients that may have untreated opiate use disorder that's very much masked and they're very hard to treat, but patients on yes. stable treatment are, are really um, very, very delightful and you can make such a difference in their recovery and be a very important part of, that, of keeping them in recovery um, and helping them thrive in the future. What other resources that we only have been able to give you about a half an hour of um, the most important pearls around uh, buprenorphine? What other resources would you recommend, Dr. Azen? 
So the American Society of Addiction Medicine, ASAM, um, has some great educational resources. Um, they have in their e-learning um, tab within their website, there is specific DEA um, education specific learning that you can go through. There's a great um, topic on pain and addiction um, that I think would be super helpful for um, post-acute and long-term care providers, but there's lots of great information. I think we see a lot of patients with alcohol use disorder um, and tobacco use disorder, and there's great educational resources there. So I, I recommend you, you look at ASAM. Uh, some of them um, have a fee and some of them are actually available uh, for free. Okay, again, thank you very much. Be well, and uh, maybe we can continue this conversation of the treat for the treatment of other uh, substance use disorder. Thank you all for uh, listening uh, to this important information on the treatment of a disease that has epidemic proportions in the United States and uh, will touch us all also in post-acute and long-term care. Goodbye. If you are a physician and interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, visit paltc.org slash podcast.